Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I have to admit, I think there's a little bit of misnomer when it comes to the Georgia defense in 2021. I think there is something that is sort of commonly assumed to be true, even by maybe a good bit of Georgia fans who obviously know the team well and follow everything closely, even among the folks kind of inside the bubble of Dog Nation like we all are, I think that there is this thing that is commonly believed to be true about the Georgia 2021 defense that I don't know that is quite as true as some folks actually think that it is. It goes a little something like this. The Georgia football defense in 2021 was the greatest defense in program history, the greatest defense maybe of all time in college football history, and no other Georgia defense even comes close. It's the last part of that that I'm not quite so sure is as true as some people think that it is. Because while Georgia clearly had the best defense in the country a year ago, and that was clearly a big catalyst towards Georgia winning the national championship, the truth is, even in the Kirby Smart era, there are some defenses from a productivity standpoint that have actually come somewhat close to matching what Georgia did last season. And the ways in which those defenses are similar and the one big way in which those defenses were actually different, I think is a really important thing to understand as we get ready for the 2022 season. I want to give you a couple stats here and let me not lose you on this, but the point I'm trying to make with this is, is that if you look at Georgia and its defense last year, compare it to let's say 2019, which prior to last year was the last full season we'd had in college football. So we're kind of throwing out pandemic 2020. We're going to compare last year's Georgia defense, the 2021 National Championship team, to the defense that Georgia had in 2019 in a year in which it also won at least the SEC East. Well, last year's Georgia defense led the SEC, allowing only 10.2 points per game. But in 2019, Georgia did the same thing. It was at 12.6. So this idea that Georgia was way better last year defensively in terms of yielding points than it had ever been before, the truth is it was only slightly better in that category than it had been in 2019. The same thing when it comes to yards per rush allowed. Georgia last year, as you would probably imagine, led the SEC, yielding just 2.56 yards per rush. But in 2019, Georgia was actually only slightly worse than that. They only gave up 2.62 yards per rush in 2019. Once again, essentially the same thing. When it comes to yards per pass attempt allowed, Georgia had the exact same number in both 2021 and 2019, allowing just 5.6 yards per every pass attempt. So the 2021 defense in those categories for the most part was better than Georgia's last defense for a full season prior to that in 2019 but in some cases, only just slightly. So it leads to a question, and this is not a rhetorical question. Well, why is it then that the 2021 defense is thought of as the greatest of all time, the greatest in Georgia history, and why is it that no one thinks of the 2019 defense at all? It's not remembered really very much whatsoever. What is the difference? If those statistical benchmarks, how many yards you give up on the ground, how many yards you give up through the air, how many points you allow, if those statistical benchmarks are all so similar, then why does nobody remember the 2019 defense and why did that season end the disappointment of a blowout loss to LSU in the SEC championship? Because there is one difference I didn't mention. So many statistical things kind of line up for Georgia in 2021 with previous Kirby Smart defenses, whether it be 2019 or other defenses that happened before that there are so many statistical similarities but there was one big difference do you know that last year Georgia had 49 sacks sacked quarterbacks 49 times in 15 games and in 2019 in one fewer game admittedly but in 2019 Georgia had just 31 sacks that's the big difference The thing that made the 2021 Georgia defense so much better than the 2019 defense and every other great defense, statistically speaking, that had existed before that was the personality of that defense. Georgia was just more impactful in the backfield, way more sacks than any Kirby Smart team in Georgia had ever had. And if we did tackles for loss, you'd see the exact same thing, way more impactful when it comes to making big plays behind the line of scrimmage. Sometimes we call those havoc plays. Georgia wreaked more havoc in 2021 than any point in time in the smart era. And that was the recipe for how Georgia was led by its defense on the way towards a national championship last season. 
And as we turn the page towards 2022, I think it's really important not to lose sight of that. I think it's really important not to lose sight of what it was that made Georgia so special last season. It wasn't just stopping things from happening, not giving up rushing yards, not giving up passing yards, preventing teams from scoring points. It wasn't just stopping things from happening. It was making things happen. Because you better believe that relentless pass rush made it way easier for Christopher Smith to get an interception return for a touchdown that beat Clemson in week one. And that relentless pass rush made life miserable on Bryce Young in the 15th game of last season, winning a national championship. It was a defense looking to make things happen. It was a defense that played with a little bit of an offensive mindset looking to go out and change games and not just prevent the opposing offense from putting its stamp on the game. And that's what made Georgia special last year. So as we listen in yesterday, as the two new Georgia defensive coordinators, Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp, spoke about their outlook working together for the upcoming season, I kind of have to admit that I sort of wish we would have heard a little more about pass rush yesterday. Now, I'm not blaming the two coaches for this, nor am I blaming the media that's a- asking the questions. It just sort of just didn't work out that way. And maybe if there had been different questions and sort of pursuing a different line of thought, maybe we could have heard a lot more about uh, the Georgia pass rush for the upcoming season. But as a fan who was not in Athens for the press conference yesterday, I was tuned in closely hoping to hear – the, 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 the idea discussed of sacking quarterbacks again, doing something this year from a pursuit of tackles for loss and sacks, those impactful plays in the backfield, looking to kind of at least come close to matching statistically what Georgia did in 2021. And I didn't hear as much of that as I would like to, but I did sort of pick out the two moments yesterday when the idea of pass rush sort of came up. And this is, you know, uh, I think worth considering when you say, Okay, so it's 49 sacks a year ago. How do you get to that for the upcoming season? Well, one of the things that Glenn Schumann tells us is, and I think this is worth considering as a Georgia fan, you ought to be kind of happy about this. That ought to get you kind of fired up here a little bit. That one of the guys that chose to come back to Georgia this past season, Nolan Smith, who has a chance to be like a lot of Georgia players were a year ago, a guy who rises up as a potential first-round pick because of the way that he plays this year, with the idea of pass rush being so important for Georgia – Glenn Schumann says that's one of the areas this year that one of Georgia's key leaders, Nolan Smith, is looking to improve with himself. That's where he's looking to get better. I did think this was good from Schumann yesterday, so take a listen to this. Nolan is one of those guys that when you say, hey, if you're going to talk about it, be about it. And he's known for being vocal because he is, but he holds himself to an extremely high standard in terms of how he works. Uh, I think that, that you can see that in that room, that that's something that they take pride in and you know defensively he wants to challenge everybody to do the same thing right he's been a great leader for us he works really hard every day he has great toughness and he and right now um he's looking to be the best version of himself and improve in areas you know he wants to be a better pass rusher right he's working extremely hard at that and he's really stepped out even more in terms of what he's doing as a leader and that room um you know i, I see a lot of guys matching that robert beal is has a lot of the same traits in terms of maybe not being as vocal, but in terms of how he carries himself in practice. You know, you look at a guy like Chaz Chambliss, who's extremely tough and a hard worker. MJ Sherman matches that. You can go guy by guy. And then when you walk in and you have freshmen, you know, you have Marvin Jones, Dare Smith, CJ Madden, and they see a room that's extremely hardworking and tough, not just from one guy, but from all the guys ahead of them, then they know what the expectation is. And so, you know, when you see them out there, that, that kind of becomes the reputation of the room. Okay, so I can kind of do something with that. You know, I got my pen out, I got my paper out, I got my calculator out, and I'm trying to say, okay, I need at least 40 more sacks from this team again this year. How am I going to get there if I'm a Georgia fan? Well, I just got Glenn Schumann telling me, well, that's something that Nolan Smith came back to Georgia to improve himself on, and he's maybe helping lead the way, setting the tone with the rest of the outside linebackers to do just that. All right, that's that's good, and especially knowing Robert Beal, who came up and was mentioned there, Georgia's leading sack getter a year ago coming back here for 2022 okay I I can sort of do something with that that sort of makes some sense here and then when Will Muschamp spoke after this to reporters uh you know he didn't want to talk about this but kind of some of the reporters sort of forced him to kind of talk a little bit about you know incoming freshmen like Mikel Williams and Marvin Jones Jr you know these are guys that even though Muschamp kind of wanted to sidestep any praise of them because practices for the most part are just beginning He acknowledged that getting after quarterbacks is something even these young players might be able to do pretty well there also. This was Will Muschamp on a similar topic. 
Excited about both guys. You know, both guys have some twitch. They both have pass rush ability. Uh, we're going to be first time in full pads today. And that's actually how you play the game nowadays, the full pads. So we'll know a lot more as we continue to move forward. But I'm glad both of them are at the University of Georgia. So once again, the both guys that he's mentioning, that's Mikael Williams, Marvin Jones Jr. Two guys can also help contribute to that pass rush there as well. And Muschamp's going to be a little sarcastic with you about, hey, we haven't even been in full pads before yesterday yet. So don't ask me to praise too much. But once again, if you're trying to get to that sort of 40-plus sack number of this upcoming year, incoming freshmen like Mikael Williams, Marvin Jones Jr., they'll kind of help you get there maybe. Obviously, Jalen Carter, we've talked about him plenty. He's a part of this discussion too. The overall bottom line here is, is that in terms of, who does what and how do you add it all together? How do you get to 40 or, or 40 more, you know, 40 plus, maybe even coming close to the 49 from a year ago? We may not know the component pieces that add up to exactly how you get there. But here's the one thing I do think I know for certain. You have to get there. That if Georgia's back in like sort of the 30 something total when it comes to sacks, if they're not getting after quarterbacks in 2022 the way they were in 2021, then this maybe runs the risk of being a defense like what existed for Georgia prior to all that. One that's pretty good at stopping teams from getting yards and pretty good at stopping teams from getting points, but not going far enough towards impact in being as impactful as needed to actually contribute towards a national championship. We may not know how Georgia gets the sacks, but we can say for certain it's got to get them. It got them last year. That was the recipe for greatness for Georgia a year ago, an impactful defense. And seeing if Georgia can match some form of that for this upcoming year is one of the most important issues facing this team this offseason. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pest Management, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video. We start at 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app. 10 a.m. after that, across all the video platforms, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Twitch, or on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref, or available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. So we're just really, really happy to have all of you with us here today. And a huge thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management for being a part of that there as well. And one of the things I love about Breda and our buddy Matt Breda there from Breda Pest Management, you know, they are as invested in the community as we want to be here around Dog Nation. Earlier this week, I had a chance to be at the Corky Kale Classic kickoff lunch, and obviously we're looking forward to high school football coming up next week. And I was so proud to see Dog Nation recognized as a great sponsor for that event and for high school football here this year. And Breda Pass Management on hand there as well, or at least being recognized as one of the great sponsors there for that too. They love high school football. They just love sports in our state. Matt's a big Braves fan. You see him in a lot of Braves games, things like that. Obviously a part of so many of the fun things happening around UGA on a regular basis. In fact, they're the official pest control provider of UG Athletics. That means they're taking care of Sanford Stadium and all the athletic venues there in Athens. They want to provide that same care for you and your home there as well. And guess what? If you're getting a, a level of termite service and pest control where the price is going up each and every year, that's something else that Breda Pest Management can do for you there as well because they exist to take care of folks who've kind of gotten tired of their old pest control provider because their service keeps going up year after year. You get that letter in the mail, things are about to get more expensive. Well, not at Breda Pest Management. When you make the switch to Breda Pest Management, they're going to save you money instantly just for doing it. So my invitation to you is to check out the website, BredaPest.com, for more on that. That's BredaPest.com for more on that. And really just kind of find out uh, how they can put more money in your pocket, uh, take good care of you, give you the same kind of pest control and termite protection they're providing for UGA and all of its athletic venues. So BredaPest.com for more on that. B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com for more on that. All right, we're going to hear more from Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp before the show is done today. We'll come back to that before we get there. And we'll hear from Mike Griffith here coming up in just a moment too. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse. And listen, there is nothing I hate admitting more than the idea that I might have been wrong about something. But when you heard Kirby Smart a little bit the other day and the kind of positivity that he was expressing related to a Georgia player, there was a part of me that started second-guessing the opinion that, that I had had, and I told you this yesterday, that when I think about you know the breakout players for Georgia, the guys who have a chance to really sort of hit some big benchmarks statistically on the offensive side of the ball for the upcoming season, if you assume that it can't be true for everybody, that one guy getting touches comes to the expense of somebody else, that I'm kind of gravitating towards a guy like Eric Gilbert and obviously even more production for a guy like uh, Brock Bowers. 
but in that very deep and talented Georgia tight end room that if we are going to say big year for Gilbert, another big year, even bigger year for Bowers, that comes to the expense of someone. And my concern was, well, maybe that ends up coming at the expense of a guy like Darnell Washington, whose physical gifts, unquestioned, you can just look at him and see, whose talent, unrivaled in terms of a big man that moves as well as he does we've all seen that on the football field when he's been healthy but not everybody's going to get as many touches as they want maybe a guy like Washington was sort of destined to be one of those guys who ends up suffering because of the depth in that tight end room but then lo and behold Kirby Smart said what he said last week caused me to second guess that now I'm going somewhere with this but let me give you a reminder you heard this yesterday but I give it to you again Kirby talking about what he had seen from Darnell prior to an injury that kind of took him away from George at the beginning of last year and during the uh, pre-practice time of the year. This was Kirby from last week. I give Darnell a lot of credit. He's worked tremendously hard at putting himself in the best shape possible. Uh, When he got injured, which I think was over spring break going into spring practice, we thought he was in the best shape he had been in since being here both body fat, composition, uh, body weight, conditioning level. I mean, he was really running well in our off-season conditioning program, and we were looking forward to spring. Uh, He he re-injures his foot, and from there, he couldn't train the same, and he couldn't do the same things, and um, he's really in a good spot. You know, he's a guy that, you know, I came in on Sunday, and he's out there running on his own uh, on a day that was off. He's he's got a purpose. Um, He's he's practicing uh, to be driven. And um, excited to see you know what he can do. It's going to be important that we get him in in good physical conditioning shape to be able to go during this training camp. Okay, so you kind of hear that Kirby saying some good things. The condition he was in, getting him back to that sort of condition, and make sure he stays in that condition here this year. And Darnell Washington also spoke to reporters last week. Now I'm going to admit something to you here: the audio quality on this is perfect a lot of the times the player interviews kind of take place in sort of a crowded room with multiple interviews going on at the same time and so you have some sort of bleed over sound that comes in but I want to play this for you anyway just for proof that it exists if nothing else you can watch the video sometimes it's a little bit easier to kind of watch these videos and get the sound than it is to kind of listen to this on this show but Darnell kind of picks up on what Smart said there the condition he was in what that sort of pristine physical condition means for him right now and also he interacts with our buddy Mike Griffith a little bit related to you know, the other tight ends of the room, the Brock Bowers, the Eric Gilbert. So here around the doghouse, this is Darnell Washington kind of following up on what Kirby Smart just said about him right there. Take a listen and see if you can make out what he's saying. Run everything full speed, confident, I don't know, uh, just whatever play it may be or even just conditioning, just give everything I got. And, uh, I mean, yeah. How has the tight end position, I guess, changed or the roles, opportunities there since you first came in? first came in, I mean, we was different kind of tight ends. That's just not necessarily the same beat, but like we didn't have a Brock Bowers when I came up. And when Brock came in, and then it's kind of switched, you know, kind of flipped the switch a little bit. And what has Eric brought to the table? I mean, we saw a little bit of him in the spring game, I guess. Uh, I mean, you guys seen him in the spring game. Uh, he played whatever that and more. Uh, I feel like he's a good dude and a hard worker. And, you know, he's just going to continue. So Darnell Washington says, yeah, listen, Eric Gilbert, you saw it in the spring game when he brings the table. Brock Bowers, you know what he's all about. But guess what? I'm in good shape, too. And I'm ready to show the world that I'm just as good as those guys are there as well. Now, let me tell you why all this matters to me, because I've been thinking about this a little bit. One of the things you may have heard me say is, is that I'd love to see this year a guy like Bowers, who was Georgia's leading receiver a season ago, take his performance to the next level and maybe be a 1,000-yard receiver, something that Georgia's only had one of in the entire history of the program, Terrence Edwards way back in 2002. But could Brock Bowers achieve that here this year? I think there's a chance that he might be able to. But if he does, I'd also like to see, and maybe this is just me being greedy as a fan, but nonetheless, I'd also like to see somebody else add another 800-yard season on top of that. 800 yards is about what Bowers did a year ago, which is the high watermark for any pass catcher thus far in the smart era. So is it possible that this year, in year three of Todd Munkin offensively, you could have a guy like Bowers get 1,000 yards, something that only one other player has done in program history, and a guy like anybody get 800 yards, which is something that only one player has done thus far in the smart era? And you start to wonder, well, if you need 1,000 yards from Bowers and you get 800 yards from somebody anywhere, 
could Darnell Washington maybe be the guy that could get that 800-yard season? And 800 yards sort of sounds like a lot compared to what Georgia receivers and pass catchers have recently been doing. But did you know that over the course of a 15-game season, I've done the math myself using a calculator, did you know that if you play 15 games, meaning you go all the way to the national championship, you actually only have to average 53 yards per game to get to 800 yards for a season? All of a sudden, that seems more manageable. And did you know that Darnell Washington, for a stretch in his career, has actually done exactly that? But if you go back and look at Darnell at the end of the uh, 2020 season, when he had two catches for 61 yards against Missouri in the bowl game, where he had three catches for 46 yards against Cincinnati, did you know that if you add 61 plus 46 and then divide it by two, do you know what you get? Exactly 53. The Darnell Washington, when he has been healthy, and when he was a little bit of a focal point of the offense, uh, Darnell Washington did exactly what would be required to kind of get to Georgia to kind of a statistical benchmark that very few pass catchers have gotten in recent history for the program. And I'm not predicting when that's going to happen for Darnell Hill this year. But when you start thinking about some of the things that Darnell has done in his past, and when you realize that he's actually healthier now than he's been, maybe the outlook for a guy like that is a little bit brighter. And maybe it is more likely that that he could be one of the big breakout players, maybe more so than I was originally giving him credit for. It's kind of a fun thing to think about because he's a huge fan favorite because of just how head and shoulders he stands above everybody else. And maybe, as I said before, it's a little bit more possible than I once gave it credit for being. That is Around the Doghouse. We're happy to have you here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And as far as what else is going on with Georgia football right now, sights and sounds from practice, reaction to Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp from yesterday, and a whole lot more. Let's get ready to do an insider update and a practice report presented by Georgia Farm Bureau with Mike Griffith right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily here today after uh, a couple of press conferences yesterday with the two new Georgia defensive minds, Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, working in sort of a tandem form and speaking in tandem fashion to reporters yesterday. First Schumann, then Muschamp. Mike, you were there. What was your takeaway from hearing the two new Georgia DCs speaking to the media and to all the fans yesterday? Well, I mean, just a reminder of the chemistry that Kirby has on his staff. You know, listening to Will Muschamp, I think we all wish we had a best friend like that. I mean, he certainly has got Kirby's back. And and Schumann, you know, a, a younger coach who – as bright and as smart as he is, recognizes the value of Kirby's experience and appreciates the leadership uh, that he's gotten from him since those two have been together since, like, what, 2008? I think he was a student assistant for Kirby. So it was a little bit of uh, inside how the sausage was made when you hear how those coaches uh, feel about one another, how they work together, and it helps you understand why that Georgia defensive staff has so much synergy. One of the things that both guys either outright said or kind of insinuated, which is that, hey, you know, the person who's like at the top of the org chart, you know, may not matter all that much, that this has always been kind of a collaborative process. How true do you think that is, Mike? I mean, how much, you know, does an organization need one clear leader and how much of this really can be kind of, you know, to use the word I used before, kind of a collaborative process? Well, when it comes to the assignments, for sure it's collaborative. And and that's where the whole no-name defense came in and and guys not worried about individual stats. I mean, in Trayvon Walker, you know, you saw a guy that wasn't even all SEC go number one overall, which is evidence that, you know, if you do your job, the right people will notice regardless of what the statistics say. Um, so I, when I think collaborative, I think about, you know, filling roles and building a wall and everybody being, you know, uh, gap sound, you know, not, not leaving their gap to chase a potential individual sack or something like that. If everybody just maintains their gaps, there, there's nowhere for the quarterback to go. I think you need to have some individual uh, standout play at cornerback. You know, I think we've heard Nick Saban talk about how important it is to, you know, have corners that can lock guys up. It kind of determines what you do with the rest of your defense. If you've got some lockdown corners, then you can do things, some things with your safety and pressures or in run defense, bring them a little closer to the line, maybe not give those corners so much help. Uh, the other question you asked was about leadership, and, and I think that still needs to evolve. I mean, you know, Jordan Davis was, was the guy last year. I mean, that was the face of the program. When we think of 2021 Georgia, Jordan Davis is going to be the guy that's going to embody that team. I, I think maybe N'Kobe Dean to a lesser extent. You know, maybe Brock Bowers, you know, and arguably the, the most valuable player, indispensable player on offense last year. But 
I don't know who that guy is yet on defense. You know, I think Jamal Dumas Johnson, just by nature, that Mike position could be the guy. I think Christopher Smith is having a great camp. He strikes me as a great leader. Uh, and, and I know Jalen Carter hasn't always been the most vocal guy, um, but he's maybe the highest draftable guy on the team. Uh, Nolan Smith, certainly a voice uh, who continues to assert himself. So, you know, those leadership things, those emerge, you know, as as the summer practices and dog days go on, who emerges, who leads, who holds the team accountable, and, and then once in season, who steps up and, and, you know, exerts themselves at key moments in games. So it's not like you can just, you know, put a C on somebody's jersey and say, okay, you're the captain. Uh, that's not how it works. You know, learn that in the military. It, it, it kind of uh, evolves, you know, through how players handle crises and who steps up and who leads in those moments. You know, we're watching video right now for those who are tuning in on video. Our producer, Michael Carvel, showing some of the video from Muschamp from yesterday. And, Mike, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but he looks good, right? I mean, it's like I think yeah. about, like, some defensive coordinators. You know, think about, like, Matt Patricia from the Patriots, things like that. These are sort of disheveled dudes who sort of seem like they just sort of stumbled out to pick up the newspaper in the driveway. Uh, in the case of Muschamp, I mean – this is obviously a guy that's been a head coach in two different spots in the SEC, and to my eye, sort of looks like a head coach as he's addressing the the media yesterday. Shirts tucked in, got a nice belt, got some khakis on. I mean, like this is a this is a sh- you know a sharp looking guy, a guy who looks like a leader of men, and you're just sort of reminded that hey, there is a lot of institutional knowledge in this Georgia coaching staff, and you know, kind of the image that a guy like Muschamp projects when he stands there at the podium is kind of a reminder of the experience, I think, that he brings the coaching staff, which is not to say that Schumann in his own right is not valuable. But, I mean, you know, Muschamp's been around the block here a few times, and I think that's, I think that's probably pretty good for George. Yeah, you know, some guys look and sound better behind a microphone than others. You know, guys like you. You know, guys like Muschamp. I mean, I think that's what you look for when you're looking for a color man for a program or when you're looking for a head coach. That's that is part of the job, right? The guy that's going to represent your brand, the guy you want to put on billboards, or the guy you want on your show every day. I mean, um, and, and certainly Muschamp could do that again. There's no doubt in my mind that if Will Muschamp wants to be a head coach again, he'll get another opportunity. I mean, just look around college football and how many times you know coaches with the right look and sound get recycled. I mean, I think Lane Kiffin uh, is a great example of that. Steve Sarkeesian, a lot of personal issues off the field, and yet he's back leading young men again, albeit five and seven records. But there's certain guys with the right look and sound that the programs want behind the microphone. Uh, and then there's other guys like Jim Chaney, you know, who may be one of the best football minds out there, but, it's, you know, that, that, that may not be the guy you want to put on apparel or, uh, you know, do a caricature T-shirt to sell. So to your point, Muschamp uh, looks, sounds good, but also – as you mentioned, the institutional knowledge. You know, you've got another guy there who's been around the league, who's seen things from a different perspective, and I'm going to say it, B. I'm just going to say it. You don't win a national championship without Will Muschamp, and, and the reason why is because that incredible scout that he helped give you for Clemson. That was a 10-3 to football game. And, and don't get me wrong, Georgia was the better team that night and probably wins, I'd say, seven or eight out of ten times. But Will Muschamp, having him on staff to prepare for Clemson, with his experience and his knowledge of the players in that program, year in and year out, I absolutely think that made that, that, that made the difference. And you know, let's remember it was one of the players out of the secondary that Will helps oversee, along with Kirby, uh, that made the game change in play. Christopher Smith. So I, I think he's instrumental. I think he's valuable. Uh, I think he's a great addition. That Kirby's got a guy that you know he can look in the eye that's his equal. You know, the last guy that beat Kirby Smart in Sanford Stadium. With Will Muschamp. Good point. So, yeah, it's a pretty good football coach. So, we heard from the defensive coach yesterday. The expectation is you'll get a chance to hear from Georgia offensive coordinator Todd Munkin later on in the week. Always fun to, to hear from the Georgia offensive mastermind because, you know, Munkin just, I think, is an interesting guy. What are you looking forward to either hearing from Munkin, specifically asking about yourself? What do you want to, what do you want to hear discussed when Munkin probably meets reporters at some point in time this week? Well, you know, Munkin, like all these other coaches, he's, he's a different guy meeting with the media than he is on the field. On the field, I, I think he would make a sailor blush with his vocabulary. Uh, and it's kind of fun to, to watch a Todd Munkin practice and hear stories of, of, you know, I mean, he chews guys out after wins. You know, <laughs> I mean, this guy is relentless, man. I think, I think Stetson used the word anal uh, and, and laughed and said, hey, but that's good. Sometimes you need to know when, when, you, know, when you suck, right? Uh, but Munkin's that dude, man. He's just a no-nonsense, no-frills guy. 
I loved it uh, a couple years ago. One of my favorite Munkin quotes when he when someone asked him about coming in as an offensive coordinator in, in COVID, so he didn't have spring. He goes, he said something to the effect of, "Yeah, we didn't have spring, but nobody gives a you know poop." Is pretty much what he said. Sure. And it was just kind of a right. You're right. You're right, Munkin. You're right. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear the excuses. He, like he said, this is a get it done business. And, uh, you know, and Munkin is a receivers guru. You know, yesterday he called out, uh, uh, was it Arian Smith still can't line up three years in? I mean, good grief, you know. But you've got to be, you know, he's just, you've got to like, the little things are what separates great offenses. And that's where Munkin excels. Like, like Stetson will tell you, like, you, you, you've got to be lined up within an inch of where you're supposed to be lined up. It makes a difference. Spacing in football just like basketball, and I used to coach some, some basketball BA, you know how important spacing is on the court. Well, it's the same way in these patterns and with what you're trying to get done. And, and Munkin is an absolute uh, taskmaster. So I'll be curious, you know, to see how he talks about the quarterbacks like everyone else. I mean, I think, we, we, you know, he already, you know, he said the boosters in January, Stetson was the guy. We, there's no mystery there. Um, what does he say about Brock Vandergrift, though? You know, what does he say about Carson Beck? Uh, does even you know is Gunner Stockton you know is he you know what's his role? Um, those are the things I'll be interested in. I mean, there's nothing specific. I, I think we all have a pretty good understanding of how the offense works and how they take what the defense gives and and Munkin's mentality. Um, you know, for me, the fun will just be in the details. Yeah, and the other thing is, and I know he's not going to specifically say this because it's, at this point, maybe unknowable. But I mean, like last year, we saw like Brock Bowers break out and he was used to great effect. It was one of the most prolific pass catching seasons in Georgia football history. It was certainly by far the most prolific season that any pass catcher had had during the smart era. And you think, well, the potential exists for that to happen for somebody else again this year. And I thought smart was really interesting going back to last week with the idea of, well, how many receivers do you have on the field that determines how many tight ends you get to play. And so you're kind of left to assume, okay, or, or not assume, but, but kind of debate amongst yourself, especially if you're a fan of, well, is it a running back who breaks out? Is it another tight end because of how deep that room is? Is it a wide receiver that finally kind of sort of has a level of production alongside with a guy like, you know, Bowers could have done last year? That's what I think is really fun for a lot of fans, and it's kind of a fascinating topic. And any clue that a guy like Munkin gives towards anything like that when he does speak, I think is what's going to be really interesting. He's not going to give the store away, of course, but those are the things that I think fans are kind of listening closely for because – you know, great units, great teams are built on the backs of great players. Well, you know you got one in Brock Bowers. That's what he showed you a year ago. But what can you put alongside him in terms of, you know, big production? That's what's going to make the early season, I think, here fun. And it'd be nice to get a glimpse of that, or at least a little bit of a preview of that from uh, Munkin coming up. Well, I mean, the key is, you know, you're in year three, and your guys know the offense better. You know, the ones that, the ones that know the offense better, like I said, Aaron Smith still has to get you know better. Uh, but, you know, A.D. Mitchell, uh, Ladd McConkey, uh, you mentioned Brock Bowers, you mentioned Darnell Washington. Uh, I think Eric Gilbert is in that. I think in the spring game we saw a little preview. I think we saw him targeted like five times in the red zone. He caught two touchdowns. He drew two pass interferences in the end zone. Uh, I think that was a preview. You know, I think we've seen a lot of Kenny McIntosh game-winning drive against Cincinnati. He got it done. Uh, some incredible catches against Alabama. Um, arguably the best all-around back the last couple of years. Well, he'll certainly have a bigger workload, you know. So when you've got all those answers, right? So the defense wants to present you with problems in every game. They're going to take some. There's no defense out there that can take everything away. <clears throat> you got to pick your poison. So, but if you've got answers at every position, right? Think Kansas City Chiefs, right? If you've got answers, it's circumstantial, you know. So Todd Munkin can't stand up there and tell you. How many targets everybody's going to get? Now they've got they've got their base offense and they've got their progressions that the quarterback will go through, but that changes week to week based on where they feel like they have advantageous matchups, and it also changes based on how defenses play you. So, for example, Brandon, I would suggest to you that Dan Lanning will probably make sure that Brock Bowers has a little bit of extra attention. So the question becomes, what what's who's who's number two in the progression? What is Lanning going to give you? And the answer going into the season is they're going to give you throws outside the numbers that Stetson has yet to prove he can make, although he looks very good in camp so far. He has improved his footwork. He has improved his velocity on the ball. They're going to make Georgia throw outside the numbers, and they're going to continue Georgia to go downfield uh, off of the play action on those shot plays. They're, they're going to load up the box. This is what everybody's going to do. 
They're, they're not going to die the slow death and, and play too deep. They're going to load the box, and they're going to make Georgia beat them with big plays. And, and they're going to make Georgia beat them with, with backs out of the backfield, right? So what you're going to see is a steady mix, I believe, of Kenny McIntosh catching the ball out of the backfield, A.D. Mitchell, Lad McCocky, deep route, and then one of the tight ends will work their way free underneath. Because, again, there's only so many. Unless you add two more guys on defense, you're not covering everybody. And, oh, by the way, Stetson Bennett can run too. But, but to me, what you're going to take away first is you're going to load up to stop the run, and you're going to force the downfield throws, and you're going to force Stetson to throw outside the numbers. That's what you're going to do. And then Stetson's going to show you how much he's improved his decision-making and the velocity that he can put on those deep throws outside the numbers. I want to ask you more about Georgia practice specifically, including the first padded practice there yesterday. But first, let me remind folks, it's the uh, insider update. It's the practice report presented by Georgia Farm Bureau. And, of course, we're happy to have Georgia Farm Bureau here with us on Dog Nation Daily because we love the work they do all across our state when it comes to taking care of Georgians for their home insurance, for their auto insurance. You know, Georgia Farm Bureau agents live and work in communities just like mine, just like yours, all across the state. We say they're always the home team because, you know, they're coaching your little league. They're going to your high school games on Friday nights. They're they're a part of the fabric of all of our lives, and that means also giving us big savings and great coverage when it comes to the kind of insurance products that we all need for the vehicles that get us to work every day, for the homes that keep our family safe and secure. That's what Georgia Farm Bureau is all about. So reach out and find a Georgia Farm Bureau agent near you today. The website to do so is gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. I hope you'll check them out, and we're happy to have them as part of Dog Nation Daily with Mike Griffith here each and every Wednesday. So, Mike, you saw a little bit of uh, Georgia practice yesterday, I believe full pads for the first time, a couple practices prior to that. Uh, give us, for those of us who haven't been able to see these practices, give us a little bit of an insight into what you have seen. Well, most of what we've seen, you know, in terms of having offensive defense on the field at the same time as skeleton works, that's seven on seven. So in terms of run defense and, and which linebackers and linemen are, are slobber knocking, that's that's not really there. We can tell you who hits the sled and who looks pretty in a uniform, you know, up front. But this, the, probably the skeleton was the most revealing yesterday. Watching Ad Mitchell, he just looks thicker. He looks more athletic. I mean, if he stands next to Dominic Blaylock, you're picking Ad first for your team just because of his size and his thickness and and, and really everything. I mean, the guy's just an incredible. I mean, he's a great athlete. Like I I got up close and I said, oh my gosh. This guy has really become a monster. Uh, so AD on the perimeter is he's, he's premium. He's premier. We saw him scorch Keeley yesterday. Um, Darnell in person. I mean, just I don't know what to say. I mean, he just he's a monster. He's a Frankenstein. I mean, he's six seven two seventy five, and he just he he moves with great agility. And, and Eric Gilbert is just you know another of these guys that just you shake your head and go, oh my god, who's covering this cat? Right? I mean, Brock Bowers looks normal standing next to them until he catches the ball and then he runs away from it. He takes a seven yard ball and turns it into a 50 yard gain and breaks tackles. I mean, Brock Bowers got that, you know, captain America ability or something. It's bizarre that a guy packaged like that is as capable as he is. I mean, so when we talk about tight end, let's just call it the superhero position. Let's not call it tight end B. Let's call it SH superhero. Cause all these guys are built like an Oscar Delt. Let's throw him in there. And, and Brett, see there, it's just, stupefying and until you see it up close and, and i'll challenge everybody in the opener you know write this down watch the tight ends work before the game just look at these guys and just look at them i mean they're amazing they really are it's just stupid how, how, how incredibly uh, athletic that group is so obviously that stood out i mentioned ad mitchell you know lad is just a, a, a picture of uh, of consistency um, you know, fluidity, great route runner. I mean, you just love the Lad McConkey story. The guy that grew up loving Tennessee, and Tennessee wouldn't even offer him a scholarship. So Georgia basically scraped him up off the ground out of North Georgia's small high school football. Kirby saw something in this guy and said, you know what, this guy's worth a scholarship. Not, not only is he worth this, and then one year later, you know, you think about McConkey and, and what he does and how he leads and, you know, you got to have fabric like that. You got to have guys like that to do everything right. It just makes a difference. And when you, like Kirby said, when you got enough of those guys that do everything right, you know, every now and then you get the blinking light in there. Maybe some kid that's got some off the field issues or some distractions. If you got enough of those guys that do everything right, they overcome the blinking light and they put the blinking light out and the blinking light confirms, conforms. So, you know, I think about guys like that and then just the physique of, 
some of these newcomers. I mean, if if anybody watches Centel on Before the Hedges or or listens to him on your program, Brandon, they've all heard this because Centel's told us all about these guys. But you know, Michael Williams and and Marvin Jones. I mean, just the newcomers. You know, Bear Alexander. Good, we've heard plenty about him. Uh, you know, Amarius Mims. My goodness. You know, he'll finally find his way in the field at some point. Tate Ratledge. Uh, you know, these are just these are just monstrous guys that. That you know, some programs hope they have one or two guys like this. Georgia's got about twenty, and and that's what stands out when you go to a Georgia practice. Is it's like you feel like you're at a worldwide wrestling federation event, or something. every guy looks like he can come off the top rope and destroy somebody. Just you know, just the physique is, and the athleticism blows you away. So if they can put it, if they can put it together, if they can get uh, cohesive in the back seven which there's a lot of talent back there, too. We'll save that for a whole other segment. But if they can get the cohesiveness enough in the back seven, the communication that they need to play that match zone that Kirby likes, and if, if Stett can distribute the ball a little bit more effectively, better decision-making in the big games, uh, yeah, you know, this is a team that can win the SEC champ. Things have got to fall right. They've got to fall right. And by the way, the competition's better this year. We keep pointing that out because there was a lot of first-year quarterbacks last year that were facing that defense. This year, those, those guys have been around the block. They're going to be better. And I'll just throw this in there because I'm going to write it. I'm going to give you a scoop because I know you like it when I say things on your show before I write it, Brandon. But I was reading this pullout article from ESPN on Florida, and, and I'm sure you spent all day reading all about Florida yesterday. And Billy Napier says there's less pressure on him now than ever before because he's got all the everything he needs there. And I'm thinking, I want, I, I want Billy Napier to tell me before the Utah. I want to hear that week of the Utah game. That, that, that he's feeling less pressure. I want to hear the week that he plays Georgia, that he feels less pressure there than any coaching. That's when I want to hear it. Not in these preseason fluff pieces mm. where they're trying to prop this guy up like he's, oh, Mr. Cool with all the answers. I want to hear that the week of the Georgia-Florida game, that, that there's less pressure on him here than any job he's had. That's what I want to hear and see, Brandon. Well, Mike, we'll have to leave it there for today. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, and we appreciate you being a part of the Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again very soon. You've got it, man. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. You know, Mike said something interesting about Brock Bowers a moment ago that, and Kirby Smart has obviously alluded to the fact that, oh, he knows some things about Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning knows some things about him. Obviously, Lanning worked here for quite a bit. And, you know, Mike mentioned the fact that, hey, you got to imagine Dan Lanning, defense in mind, going to do everything he can to try to take away Brock Bowers from Georgia in that game plan. In fact, you don't have to be as sharp a defensive mind as Dane Lanning is to know that needs to be done. If I was the opposing coach on the other side, even I would know, okay, well, Georgia obviously is very comfortable throwing the ball to Brock Bowers. What can we do to prevent that from happening? I had a smart coach tell me one time, on defense, I'm not trying to stop you. I'm trying to make you do something you don't want to do. And sometimes in sports, it's just kind of as simple as that. And obviously, Georgia wants to throw the ball to Brock Bowers, at least it did a lot a year ago. Preventing that from happening at least makes Georgia – try to do something somewhat uncomfortable but this is where late last year things got really interesting for the dogs michigan knew this too right i mean michigan had a month to prepare for georgia something close to a month to prepare for georgia uh several weeks at least and they had to know that brock bowers was going to be the focal point of the offense there for that game there as well and yet first drive brock bowers got as wide open in a touchdown as i am right now and to me that just speaks to not only bowers talents but also todd munkin's ability to use those talents demonstrating that in a college ball playoff game, the opening drive touchdown that sets the tone for the rest of the game. How about late against Alabama in the national championship? Bowers had had a ton of catches in the SEC title game, a game that didn't go well for UGA, but Bowers had a big stat line there that day. Pete Golding and Nick Saban had every right to think that George was going to throw the ball a lot to Bowers because at that point in time, they'd been doing it all season long. Yet in the final moments in the game when Alabama was scrapping to try to stay in the game, Brock Bowers gets a late fourth-quarter touchdown. One of those young players that seemed to play a lot better for Georgia in the big moment than Nick Saban, Alabama's young players, seem to. But that's sort of a different story for a different day. The point is is that we've seen defensive coaches try to key on Brock Bowers before. But somehow, some way, either because of his ability and Todd Munkin's acumen, it just hasn't really worked out very well. And that's something to watch week one. Uh, if anybody could know that Georgia wants to throw the ball to, to Brock Bowers, it's a guy like Lanning who's been on this staff. But something tells me Todd Munkin will still figure out a way to get him the football because that's just what Todd Munkin has done. 
Let's get ready to go cruise around the, the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean now. And there's still a little bit of time to take advantage of a great savings opportunity when it comes to our friends at Royal Caribbean. Uh, uh, because there is a kid sale free deal going on right now that you want to take advantage of right now before it goes away. That means you've got to do it this week because it's about to be gone. And you're going to really regret it if you don't because you want to take your family on a Royal Caribbean cruise. You want to do that as you head towards maybe a fall break for this upcoming school year. Or you think about holiday sailings or early 2023. I've got two Royal Caribbean cruises on the books right now that I'm taking. One at the end of 2022, one in early 2023. Already got those. Looking forward to them. The best thing in the world is being on a cruise vacation with the Royal Caribbean. The second best thing is having one to look forward to. And I've got a couple of those right now. So... You can be like me and be counting down the days to your next Royal Caribbean cruise. And right now, booking that travel, great thing to do because you do get kids sale free. You get 30% of all cruisers. You get great, great savings right now. And a great travel agent like our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you with that. TCAVA.com is the website. TCAVA.com. You can find them there. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That number, once again, 770-952-8300. They hook you up with all the great Royal Caribbean deals, and you need to reach out now and take advantage of that before it goes away because this is a great time to book a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Three, four nights stay, seven nights stay, uh, whichever one fits you best, but just take advantage of the great savings that are out there right now. All right, we've had a lot of weird stuff related to Nick Saban lately, and some of this is generated by a guy named John Talty who is writing a book with Nick Saban and about Nick Saban that – a lot of excerpts from this book have sort of snuck out here as of late, which all of it I think is kind of interesting. Uh, one of those, I'll kind of quote some uh, players who've talked about after that 2013 Iron Bowl. You remember this? This is uh, one of the things that this same book has also said called caused Saban to consider maybe I should go work for ESPN. Maybe I should go, you know, do that. Well, new report about the same book. Also lets us know that after that game, apparently Nick Saban was like in tears in the locker room once that game was over because of the way in which it ended. Obviously, you know, unlike anything we'd ever really seen before, it is one of the most dramatic college football moments of all time. And it's one of those weird things where I don't like Auburn, but I still like watching the kick six over again because of just how crazy that moment was. I can remember vividly Georgia wins in overtime against Georgia Tech in a game that did not go well, but Georgia found a way to get the victory at least. And then that's kind of a weird thing. And then right after that was over, they sort of flip over and you see the Iron Bowl between Alabama and Auburn, the way that ended in just sort of the bizarre fashion of all of that. Well, you know, Nick Saban, that it really sort of took that hard. And I just sort of think you're kind of left to conclude that at that moment, it's so easy to forget that Nick Saban was not considered the unquestioned genius that he's sort of thought to be now. I mean, there were a lot of people who were suggesting because of what Gus Malzahn had done to him, what Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M had done to him the year before that. There was this thought of, oh, the game may be kind of passing Nick Saban by. I mean, he was sort of considered to be old back then. Uh, you know, obviously he's 70 now, but there was this thought back then of, oh, man, these new coaches know these new tricks and Nick Saban struggling to catch up. And maybe Nick Saban himself sort of thought that. I mean, the aftermath of the Iron Bowl, it's only – suggest that's true you know he kind of brings in Lane Kiffin the following year and kind of outsources sort of a large portion of his program over to somebody else and obviously that worked out pretty well for the most part they've you know, they won a national title in 2017 came back and won one again in 2020 I guess also won one 2015 there as well so you know the 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 Kiffin era worked out pretty well for uh you know for for Saban all things considered but there was this time really not all that long ago, less than a decade ago, where Saban's perch as the unquestioned genius of college football, that wasn't obviously thought to be true. Because remember, the 2014 season, the follow-up to all of this was a playoff loss to, to uh, Ohio State. Saban made a lot of excuses after that game that weren't all that dissimilar to some of the stuff he was saying after having lost to Georgia. So just kind of keep that in mind. When, when Saban is you know, whining and complaining about Jimbo Fisher or whining and complaining about the excuses that he's made for losing to Georgia – that that not everything in college football sort of worked out exactly as Nick Saban has sort of planned it. He's been a guy like anybody else just trying to, like, figure it out and stay, you know, stay up to date and stay in pace with the rhythm of the sport. And I don't know. I think it's important to note that, that Saban hasn't always been quite as bulletproof as some people sort of treated him to be. And 
maybe that's worth considering as he kind of finds himself in the position of trying to, to, to get some revenge, as they would say, after what happened a year ago. Speaking of Lane Kiffin, who helped Nick Saban out of that little quagmire he found himself in after the 2013 season. Kiffin has also met with reporters as Ole Miss begins its fall camp practices. And he was asked an interesting question. So Kiffin is obviously big on the transfer portal. And they have those T-shirts down there, transfer to the SIP. Kiffin has essentially waved the white flag on high school football recruiting. He knows he's not good at it. And Ole Miss is a terrible recruiting program right now. They are essentially desperate for transfers. And so somebody asked him yesterday, and this is a really good question. You know, right now, Jackson Dart, the high-profile transfer from USC, is in a big battle to maybe become the Ole Miss starting quarterback. And it is not obvious that Dart's going to win that battle. There's a guy out of Starkville who, who seems to – maybe have a chance to win that job I don't know if Dart's just not as impressive as they hoped he would be or what's going on there but Jackson Dart who's a very high profile transfer to the Ole Miss program may find himself on the outside looking in in terms of the starting quarterback job so what Kiffin was asked was hey do you feel an obligation to play him and choose him as your starter because he was a high profile transfer and Kiffin said no 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 we're gonna play the best guy but I wonder I'd be watching for that pretty closely that if you're leveraging transfers as essentially your only way of getting talent, and basically for Ole Miss, that's all they've got. They simply cannot recruit high school players. Uh, Kiffin's never been very good at it, and he's essentially stopped doing it all the way around, using the transfer portal as an excuse for when he doesn't need to. Well, what if you don't play and don't start your transfer quarterback from USC? Now, you've got to make the right choice. You've got to choose the right guy for you. But there are some ramifications to that. And as we've said, there are so many cheerleaders for the transfer portal. There are so many people who just tell you how great it is and how, how much you know coaches, or should say the players, can kind of leverage to their benefit, players' rights, all the stuff they you know, kind of go on and on about. Let's watch and see how many of the high-profile transfer quarterbacks in particular end up actually being starters for their team. Maybe it's all of them. Maybe it's 90% of them. But let's keep in mind and pay attention to the ones that it's not as a way of judging how this still relatively new experiment of the transfer portal really is working out. That if you move 3,000 miles from home and you end up watching somebody else play, did you make the best choice for you? I'm not quite so sure about that. And that's kind of the epicenter of what's happening there around Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin right now. Speaking of quarterbacks, I saw where uh, Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri coach, is named Brady Cook as the starting quarterback there for the Tigers. And I really don't have much of an opinion about this. There are like three guys in the competition. I guess they've all played some. And after Connor Baselet got hurt, frankly, I don't think Missouri's going to be very good. It probably doesn't matter who their quarterback is. But I do think this is what does matter. When you name your starting quarterback for a head coach is always really interesting to me because there's obviously one benefit to withholding that starting name as long as possible. Nick Saban was famous for this many, many years, would actually take a quarterback competition into the season. And oftentimes Alabama, even during their glory years of Saban, would have kind of a rough game at some point during September. And a lot of times that would happen because they hadn't quite settled on their starting quarterback as of yet. But obviously the benefit to going a long time without naming a starter is you don't give the other quarterbacks much of a need to transfer even prior to what we sort of think of as the free one-time transfer age. That was still a consideration that you didn't want quarterbacks to get disgruntled and leave your program. So you have this sort of long, drawn-out quarterback competition, even if it's mostly just for show. But there's also – a downside to that, which is if you're not naming your quarterback, if you're not showing trust in the quarterback, then the level to which the teammates buy into that guy is also going to be somewhat reserved too. But when you do come out and say, hey, this is our guy, we're going to game plan around him, we're going to build around him, we're going to trust in him and believe in him, then I think you set the tone for the players there as well. And so some coaches will do that during spring practice. Most don't, but some will. Some coaches will wait all the way to the start of the first game or during the first game or during the first month of the season. But if you know who your guy is, there is in some cases benefit to saying, this is our guy, we're building around him, we want the players to buy into him, we want to try to speak confidence into him. And that's apparently what Eli Drinkwitz is doing, which is kind of an interesting thing to pay attention to. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, very quickly, your on Dog Nation Daily presented by Brady Pass Manager. I want to turn our attention back to Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann here for a moment because one of the things that came up a pretty good bit yesterday and probably came up more so than I'm actually really even interested in as a topic is the way in which Schumann and Muschamp are going to work together and how, they're, how they will cooperate and who's really in charge, what the org chart looks like, and 
all that kind of stuff. And for the most part, both guys kind of sang the same tune on that. Happy to work together, feeling very collaborative. I'll start with Glenn Schumann here on the idea that, you know, sharing responsibilities with other smart coaches, something that he's been doing at UGA for quite some time. This is Schumann from yesterday. You're here, whether it's year one or year seven, a lot of the stuff on a day-to-day basis, you know, you really do cooperatively, right? That's why, that's why it's a, a staff. Obviously there are roles within the staff, but um, when you set out to have a staff, whether it's as a, a full coaching staff, defensive staff, support staff, you want people to compliment each other. Um, you want people to be able to, uh, you know, you can't have one person do everything. You gotta be able to share responsibility. And, and so, you know, titles and people, and things of that nature, they change. But the thing that remains the same is that when we go in that room, whether it's as a full staff or a defensive staff, we're working to get on the same page um, and fight, figure out what's best for our team. And then obviously when you get to the time where certain responsibilities have to be separate, you do that. But the majority of what we do is, is cooperatively um, on a day-to-day basis, no matter what the roles are. So that's uh, Glenn Schumann talking about the cooperation that kind of goes on there and Will Muschamp kind of echoed some of the same kind of stuff and also kind of pointed out how much fun it's been for him in recent times, last couple of years, to actually even get to know Glenn Schumann better, become more acquainted with a guy that most of us would say is very much a rising star in the coaching profession. Here's Will Muschamp kind of on the same topic. I knew of Glenn, but I didn't know, really know Glenn until last year. and had a wonderful working experience with he and, and Dan and Trey Scott, and obviously Coach Smart is on the defensive side of the ball a lot. Um, but we had a, a really good rapport as far as our, you know, what we needed to do to be successful, and there's nothing's going to change with that. We have a great working relationship. Glenn's promotion, in my opinion, is very well deserved. He's an outstanding football coach. He's extremely bright. Um, he has a great rapport with his players. Uh, you know, and you really look at the, you know, Coach Smart's going in the seventh season here at Georgia. You know, the two longest tenured coaches would probably are Glenn and, and Dale McGee. And you really look over those seven years, consistency of their position groups probably is the best uh, that's been here in those seven years. You know, arguably, I'm sure that's different years. But um, but his position's been very productive. He's recruited extremely well at his position. Uh, he's just an outstanding football coach. He has a very good understanding of what we do defensively, how we adjust things out, um, and, and he's always looking for a better way to do it and always researching those things and what can we do to get better uh, in those situations. But I really enjoy working with Glenn just because the intelligence, the football intelligence he has and the passion he brings uh, to the job every single day because those things are really important and the players see that and they understand how invested he is in them. Look, I really believe that one day Schumann will be where Will Muschamp has been, a big-time head coach, maybe even the SEC. That's something that Muschamp's done in a couple of spots and one day – I think Glenn Schumann is going to get his turn to do that too. But for now, these are two guys that are working together. And ultimately, I don't really care that much how they share their responsibilities. I care, as I said off the top of the program, as a fan of this team, what they do with those responsibilities. And making this Georgia defense into one that looks like the Georgia defense a year ago, I think is really important. It's not the same level of talent, similar level of talent, but not the same players in the same spots. But there is clearly enough pieces that you can put together to make a defense that echoes the the – impactful dominance of last year's team but it's got to come in the form of pass rush you got to get after quarterbacks you got to be impactful in the backfield you can't play careful if you want to be as good as you possibly can be you can't just sit back and try to limit yards and limit points ultimately we've seen Georgia defenses that did that lead to teams that actually fell short of their end of season goals but the one that broke through and won the national championship that was the one that spent a lot of time putting quarterbacks on their back in the backfield and making tackles for loss and everything like that. So whether it's Muschamp mostly in charge, the Schumann underneath him, or the opposite, whatever's true here, how do you get after quarterbacks? How do you get and collect those tackles for loss? That's what matters for this Georgia defense here this season. Now, something else that matters to us, we do it every Friday. It's our Big Finish presented by the Finish Long Drink. And this is my invitation to you to be a part of the Big Finish presented by the Finish Long Drink later on this week. Share us with me on Twitter, maybe. That's the easiest way to do so, at Dog Nation Daily. You enjoying the Finish Long Drink, hanging out, doing some summertime stuff, getting ready for tailgate opportunities. The Finish Long Drink goes great with all of that, and we want to highlight you later on this week as a part of our Big Finish presented by the Finish Long Drink. And if you haven't tried some, it's a great time for you to do that there as well. You can go to thelongdrink.com and look at the four different long drink varieties. 
whether it be traditional there in the blue can, the long drink cranberry, which obviously has the cranberry flavor. The blue can's got kind of like the grapefruit uh, uh, sort of kick to go along with it. The long drink cranberry's got the cranberry flavor. You got long drink strong, which is eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. If the long drink zero, that's no carbs, no sugar. So those of you trying to get back down to your plain weight for the upcoming season, that works out really well for you there on that. A lot of different choices. You can even get one of those eight can variety packs and get two different cans of each of the four different long drink varieties and enjoy yourself some as we head towards the uh, the upcoming season. I even think that the uh, finished long drink may be flowing there when we visit with you, certainly for our DogNation.com tailgate before Georgia and Oregon on September 3rd, and maybe even there at Marlowe's Tavern coming up on September 1st there as well. So thelongdrink.com, you can pick up some for yourself, and we'll celebrate you with our big finish presented by the finished long drink coming up on Friday. As far as our finish to the program goes today, I want to show you this golden shoe, and the golden shoe winner for today actually made me think about something from the uh, recent past here. So we like to have fun with Nick, Nick Saban from time to time. That's what our golden shoe winner does for today. Let me show you this on the screen. So Joshua Campbell sends this. It's really funny. He says it's the Nick Saban Excuses Tour in 2022. Uh, Josh says, get your tickets now. No excuses. And the uh, graphic here says, uh, featuring all of the hits from his newest album, including Rebuilding Year and Two Receivers Down. Down at the bottom it says, uh, visit NickSabinExcusesTour.com to get your tickets. This is a very funny graphic, well done by Joshua Campbell, a very deserving Golden Shoe winner. But it also reminded me, do you know the musician Wayne Johnson, who's um, part of Manhattan Transfer, kind of famous for looking just like Nick Saban? Let me show you this if you're watching a video. And if you're a radio podcast, you got to find this on your own. This is not Nick Saban, but it's a dude with long hair playing the guitar that looks just like Nick Saban. This video went viral a couple of years ago because, I mean, that, that looks just like Saban. It's not, but it looks just like him. So in honor of Joshua, who had kind of a musical-themed Nick Saban golden shoe, I wanted to show Wayne Johnson from Manhattan Transfer just for a moment. Very, very funny. Looks just like Saban. Kind of an odd thing all the way around. By the way, Gator Hater Updater. How about those lousy, stinking Gators? They got no music to play right now because it's been 4,900. 62 days since they have won a national championship. And our Gator Hater Countdown dogs back in Jacksonville. 80 days from right now. A beat down to give out to Billy Napier and those lousy, stinking Gators. Y'all, we'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. And on the podcast, I'm going to have the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. Of course, you can turn to R.S. Andrews for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. I want to take a comment here from Pepin in our Dog Nation comment section, going back to a Darnell Washington topic that we addressed yesterday, and we kind of also hit it back again here today, too. Uh, Pepin writes that Darnell's going to play plenty, best blocking tight end by far, and that helps the running game and pass protection, uh, absolutely entering the NFL draft after the season. And he says Washington very easily could have followed Jermaine Burton into the portal and chosen the same destination, but didn't. Uh, Kirby Smart knows this and rewards loyalty. All that may be uh, true. But he also kind of makes the comparison between a guy like Washington and a former five-star tight end at Alabama, O.J. Howard, who had 600 yards receiving in 2015-2016. So let me ask you this. For those of you who kind of follow this closely, do you look back on the O.J. Howard era at Alabama as a success? I'm not sure that I do. Uh, the truth is that Howard had huge games in two different national championship games, including the big win in 2015 or at the end of the 2015 season. I actually believe he was offensive player of the game that day. Again, a huge game. But for the most part, Alabama struggled to get him the football during the season as much as, you know, Georgia was once accused of doing prior to Todd Munkin being on hand and having guys like Brock Bowers on the roster. So if the second best Georgia tight end this season, whoever it ends up being, whether it be Gilbert or, or uh, uh, Darnell or whomever, if the second best Georgia tight end ends up sort of having a O.J. Howard type season, I'm not quite so sure I would view that as a smashing success. It may be acceptable. I'm not quite so sure I'd view it as a smashing success. I think what's more interesting to consider here is, is, and this is kind of a, you know, Pepin wrote a lot of words here, and kind of one of the themes that he sort of addressed was, which I do think I probably agree with, and I touched on this myself a little earlier, that it actually doesn't take as many catches as you think to get to a pretty big year overall. I, I mentioned the stretch in 2020 at the end of the season, Missouri regular season finale, what turned out to be the regular season finale, bowl game against Cincinnati that was a total of five catches for Darnell but almost all those catches were like big gainers like you know 20 something yard type catches that if Darnell just simply did that for a 15 game season that'd give you 
the 800 yards that I've sort of called for somebody to get to go along with what Brock Bowers probably gives you at some point in time this year. And it's not impossible to think that could happen. Now, if it happens for Darnell, it probably doesn't happen for a Rick. And if it happens for a Rick, it probably doesn't happen for Darnell. It's just you can't get everybody involved to the same level. There's just not – these are finite resources, possessions, touches, uh, snaps. You know, these are finite resources. There's only so much of this to give. But, you know, the idea that it couldn't be Darnell or it couldn't be Gilbert or even if the right set of circumstances, it couldn't be an Oscar Delp or it couldn't be a wide receiver who takes some of that attention away from the tight ends. All of this is obviously possible. It just needs to be somebody. Most Georgia fans, I think, would probably agree. So we'll continue to watch closely when there are practice reports at dognation.com, when we hear from Todd Munkin, when we actually see the team play ourselves coming up this fall of who are the playmakers that step up and emerge and give Georgia a chance to fulfill all its potential on that side of the ball. That is our podcast, Cool Down, presented by R.S. Andrews. You can find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. You can find them today. And if your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. So find them online, rsandrews.com. And we'll see you tomorrow, both for our podcast, Cool Down, and for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.